So it's John chapter 20, and we're going to be starting in verse number 1. The thing about understanding Easter is understanding that the, the basic simple fact, especially if you haven't been raised in church, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're watching us online, is the fact that we believe in a risen Savior. Matter of fact, we have a statement, and maybe some of you can complete it, but we say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We believe in the resurrection power of Jesus. We believe it and we thank God for it because, because of it, we can believe that Jesus' words are true. We can believe that if God can raise his son from the dead, he could raise the things alive in us that are dead and bring them to life. And because God is who he says he is, we know that we can trust him. Now, the, the reality is we could spend a lot of time today, and I don't think it's bad to do. I think we could spend a lot of time today showing you just how we can believe that Christ is risen. But I wanted to do it a little bit different today. Rather than me just saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that God raised him, I believe you believe it. So rather than saying, this is why I believe it, if you've ever given your life to Jesus and invited him in to be Lord and Savior, stand. You see, a lost world might not believe the words that I can put on a piece of paper. They might be able to refute and call us crazy. So sometimes your explanation doesn't go very far, but your life does. Because you knew what your life was like before Christ came in and he saved you. See, we're never at the mercy of a person with an argument because we have an experience. And that experience said, I was dead in my sin and Christ picked me and my life is forever his. The greatest testimony you will ever have to share is you. And it's because of God's grace and God's mercy that you are saved, you're redeemed, you're set free, you're powerful, and you can make a mark in this world. I know I joke about it a lot, talk about it a lot. I love CrossFit. Woo! <laughs> and in CrossFit, we got these things called benchmarks. And what a benchmark is, is it's kind of like where you are. Bench press, a workout called Fran. She's not a nice lady. And you have these benchmark workouts. Well, we have a benchmark as believers. And that benchmark as a Christian and as a believer is Easter Sunday. Because he is risen? Indeed, you may be seated. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. I mean, you know, that's early. Some of you don't know what that already is. <laughs> don't lie in church. Is it noon yet? I'll wake up. Cool. If, you, if you're retired, you've earned it. If you're not retired, get up early. Wasn't supposed to be that funny, ma'am. No, it's okay. <laughs> and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter. That's funny. The guy who denied the Christ went to him first. And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, 
Speaking of John, we're reading in the book of John. Sounds like something John would do. And said to them that they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Notice here, so verse 4. So they ran together, together. However, and the other disciple, he outran Peter. If you've been with us long enough, you know. I, I wonder what Peter is thinking in this moment. Because the last time he encountered Jesus, he denied him. Now Mary's saying, we can't find him. So John and Peter, it says they, they ran together, but something happened as they were running together. Peter, the one who's very outgoing, very outspoken. You ever read the Bible and go, Peter puts his foot in his mouth? A lot. So if, if there's one disciple that I would think would be probably the most athletic, the most energetic, the most outgoing, I would think it would be Peter. Probably the most competitive. Got any competitive people in here? You know who you are. <laughs> you know the competitive people. They're like, yep, that's me. Yep, 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 yep. But it says John outran him. Could it just be for just a moment that as Peter began to run, that he began to recount what he did? You ever been trying to do something and the minute you start to think, you slow down a little bit? So John outruns him. I think Peter started dealing with some self-doubt. I'm a failure. I messed up. What if he is there and he sees me? What's he going to say to me? Is he mad at me? Is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to walk away from me? Peter, he, he slowed down. But the other disciple, he came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in. If you've ever been to Israel, there's a spot where they believe that it is the actual tomb that Jesus was in. And it's interesting when you see this in the passage of Scripture where it says, stooping down, if you were to go to where they believe that Jesus would have been laid, as you would look through the first gate, you would see a couple burial spots, but Jesus's would have been over here. And the only way you could see the part where Jesus would have been laid would actually be to stoop down and to actually look in to where Jesus would have been. Never an idle word in the Bible. For those of you that have encountered going to Israel, you, you know what I'm talking about. So the disciple, he stoops in, looking in, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. Now here's Peter back to his old self, and he went into the tomb. And when he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded it together in place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, speaking of John, went in also, and he saw and believed. But verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. When I read this passage of scripture, there's usually a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. When I share about Jesus and the, the change that's happened in me to other people, and I describe to them what Jesus went through and the type of man that he was, it makes me think, what's it going to take for people to believe that Jesus is real? You ever thought that to yourself? 
You ever tried to help somebody who seems to self-sabotage their life because of decisions and habits and hang-ups? And, and they're great in conversation with you, but they, they just, they can't quite determine, is this Jesus really real? On the flip side, I often think, what's it going to take for people to begin to live out the implications of the resurrection? That's where it brings it down to you and I as believers, because sometimes we could believe that Jesus came, died, God raised him from the dead, and he's alive in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying in this moment. We could believe that. We, we could believe in the history and the facts and the Bible, but yet our lives not really reflect the power of his resurrection. Things that we hold on to that we're not quite ready to give up, self-doubts, fears, anger, worry, Yet, yet we see Jesus time and time again more than capable and more than able to take any of those things and cast them far from us. But we don't live a life of power and of resurrection. You know, if there's one thing you can't ignore, it's really the impact that the resurrection had on everyone who encountered the risen Christ, both then and even today. After the horror of the crucifixion, the disciples, think about it, they're heartbroken afraid. They, they've scattered. Hundreds gathered to, 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 to let him enter on Palm Sunday, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is the Jesus. This is the Messiah. Fast forward three days. It's not as packed. Maybe you've heard this said before, but the, the closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd. The disciples scattered. Gone. I mean, Jesus, think of this, Jesus. The one that they had forsaken all to follow is dead. Put yourself in their place. You've seen Jesus do things that are almost unimaginable. Sometimes we have to understand the depth of what those disciples really saw. God in the flesh for three straight years, not only performing miracles, doing good deeds, setting people straight. They saw Jesus day in and day out. There, there's things that, that we don't read in the Bible that they got to experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Have you ever put your hope in someone so large that when they failed, it let you down big time? almost crushed you? These guys have left all I've ever known. And I don't have time today to talk about the process of what they could have been, but they forsake all they ever knew to follow Jesus. And now he's, he's dead. And they don't know what to do. How would you feel? What would you think? What would you say? One of the greatest parts of reading the Bible is when you begin to put yourself in the story and you begin to think, what would I do? I think there's three people in the Easter story that could almost in a way show us who we are in the story. Let's talk about the first one. Her name was Mary Magdalene. If you had to kind of put her into a category, she would be a person who was in bondage. The story goes that before coming to Jesus, 
Mary Magdalene had known a specific kind of pain in her life, and that was the pain of being in bondage to demonic spirits. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, now when he had rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first, everyone say first, first. to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She was in bondage. I, I, I love this too. She, she appeared to a woman first. And all the ladies said, ah, okay, all right. Love you. Seven demons. I mean, she was in bondage. Now, now in our lives, we could be in bondage to a lot of things. Fear, we could be in bondage to that. We could be in bondage to other things like, of course, drugs and alcohol. How about anxiety? How about worry? How about sexual sin? How about to, in bondage to anything that controls your life to the point where you cannot exist or function without it? Bondage. We've all experienced it in some way, shape, or form. So here's the deal. In the Easter story, you can relate to Mary if you've ever been in bondage. See, we don't know what exactly her bondage was, but we do know that Jesus set her free from it. And after being set free, her and others traveled with Jesus and his disciples for about two and a half years of ministry. During this time, she's hearing Jesus proclaim that he's the Messiah. She's hearing that, but then she's also hearing the other side of people saying, no, he's not. But she believed him. Why? Because he had set her free. She had known the pain, but she experienced something just like you and I have. So during this time, she's doing all of this stuff. But then on Good Friday, she's at the cross. And she sees with her own eyes what Jesus went through in the crucifixion. The scourging, the mockery, the cross that he had to carry, the nails, the spear in his side, his death. She saw it all. And being so close to the gruesome reality of Jesus' death, she was probably in shock. Shortly after, she helps take his body off the cross and to prepare him for his burial. But what happens is the Sabbath day came and they weren't able to finish the preparations. So, she comes to the tomb early while it's still dark to finish the job. It's not too hard for me to imagine the despondency in her life probably at that point. I mean, knowing that the devil's a liar, can you imagine the things that the enemy wanted to put into her mind concerning Jesus? Oh, oh you, you put your hope in him? Oh, you thought you were set free, Mary? Nah, that's just temporary. It's just a feeling. It, we know that at any given time, especially in this story, if the enemy wanted to put doubt into the life of Mary, here's his shot. I'm sure he whispered in her ear that she was going to end up back in that place of bondage that was known as her former life to meeting Jesus. Can you imagine him saying, Jesus can't help you now, Mary. 
He's gone. He wasn't really the Messiah. Look, he's dead. Now, we know she did not come to the garden looking for a risen Christ because the Bible tells us that she was walking through the garden and she was crying and she was upset that someone had taken Jesus' body. And in Luke's gospel, the angel asked her, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So, so Mary ultimately encounters Jesus when he calls her by name. Mary, the voice that she recognized. She had heard that plenty of times before. And the sound of his voice and the reality of his resurrection in a moment, it changed everything for her. She went from despair back to joy, from fear back to victory. There's something powerful that happens when us as believers recognize the voice of Jesus in our lives and how it calms it all. The question is, do we really know his voice? God's always speaking. Whether it's audibly, whether it's the Holy Spirit in here, or whether it's opening God's word, he's always speaking. But do we know his voice? Mary knew his voice. So John chapter 20, verse 18 tells us that Mary, she runs back. She has something to be excited about. You ever been excited before? Imagine that excitement right there. Man, you want to talk about running fast. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Jesus is alive, though. I'm gone. She runs, and she tells the disciples that she's seen the Lord and that he's risen. So if Mary had a message for us today, if she could tell us anything, I think it would be this. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, and there is no bondage. Everyone say no bondage. There's no bondage that can keep you. If Mary was sitting right here, she would say, I, I was demon-possessed. Seven. Jesus set me free. And he can set you free too. That's the power. Jesus died for your sins, but he rose again for your freedom. And the resurrection proclaims that the enemy is defeated. I love this. The resurrection proclaims that Satan took his best shot and it wasn't good enough. Back in the old school Sacramento days where I was born and raised, if someone shot a basketball and they missed, we'd yell, brick! Some of you are younger, you don't get that. The rest of you that are older, you do, but you didn't want to make a noise because then you would be showing us how old you are. <laughs> Ephesians 2.4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding, say exceeding, that's a lot, riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Rich in mercy, rich in grace, which leads us 
to our next character who would need a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, Peter. Peter was a person with great intentions, but little follow through. When you read the life of Peter, Peter's the guy who would say words like, I got this, and find out very quickly, he ain't got this. You ever had really good intentions to do something, and then after a couple weeks, you, you didn't do it, you just didn't do it? Do I need to go back to the beginning of every single year on the calendar? Great intentions, little follow through. For some of us, great intentions, zero follow through. Like in the moment, yep, doing this. Next day, nope, not feeling that. Great intentions, we all got them, you guys got them. Everyone has great intentions. Peter had great intentions, but his follow through was lacking very, very hard. So Peter comes to this empty tomb on Easter, on Easter morning. Now imagine all the thoughts that's going through his mind knowing that he had denied the Christ. We, we see this in Matthew 26, verse 31, and Jesus said to them, all of you, not just some of you, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, pause. If I'm the disciples, I would listen up very carefully right here. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, it is written. In other words, this is a fact. So he goes on to say, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of his flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So he's given some instruction here. So Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that this night, whoa, that came quick. No prep time here, Peter. Tonight. Wow. I find it kind of interesting too. Um, I, my mind moves fast. Have you guys noticed? Um, my mind moves fast. And, and I would think that if Jesus said, here's the deal, I'm going to strike the shepherd, and they're gonna, and then, but I'll, I'll meet you in Galilee, I would say, hey, Jesus, what time would you like me to meet you in Galilee? Do you notice how Peter doesn't even address that part? He addresses the stumble part. Only thinking about the now instead of thinking about then, later. Jesus, Galilee, meet him there. So, so Peter's like, I, I, I won't do it. And Jesus says, nope, tonight you will. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I've often said after the first time he denied him, do you think something would have clicked? No. And then Peter said to him, watch here, now it gets real extreme. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Those are big words. And so said, there's a word again, all the disciples. So here's Peter, big talker. Little follow through. Over promise, under delivered. We all know what that feels like. I'm not sure Jesus was even going to tell him that he was going to deny him at first, but Peter is grandstanding about it. Like, I wonder if Jesus was just going to keep that. But Peter kept talking. Sometimes that's where we get in trouble. You just keep talking. Don't look at me that way. I think Jesus had heard enough and said, listen, 
Peter, stop. Rooster's going to crow. You're going to know. Now, fascinating, Peter ends up in the same courtyard where Jesus is before his accusers. And sure enough, when the pressure is on, Peter denies Jesus three times. And just as the rooster crows, in one account, put yourself in the story, Jesus and Peter, they make eye contact. See, when you read in some gospels, it, it doesn't have that part. But in the other gospel, it does. Imagine denying the Christ for the third time. In one, in, in one account, he, he literally cussed out a little girl. How do you know? That gets really bad when you do that as a grown man. Cusses her out. But this time, because the courtyard, and if you've been to Israel, you've seen how small these courtyards could be. Imagine, I don't know him. Insert rooster noise. Next deal, I just made eye contact with Jesus. You ever felt shame before? Probably couldn't compare to what Peter was feeling. Guilt. I mean, here comes the devil again. I'm convinced. Good job, Peter. There you go again. You're a failure. See, the truth is, I think Peter wanted to do the right thing. He just didn't have the spiritual strength to do it. No doubt, he is terribly disappointed with himself and his lack of spiritual power. But he just couldn't do it. So let's bring it to you and I. You ever said this before? I will never do that again from now on. You ever done that? When you're a little kid, it's because you've gotten in trouble and you don't want to get grounded because you've got plans on the weekend with your friends. I'll never do it again, Mom, I promise. And you do it again. As an adult, right, if you're married, I'll never do it again. I'll never say that again. A week later, you've done said it again. You meant well, but you didn't have something on the inside that was going to help you. Here's the great news about the resurrection. If you're a person like Peter, whose life has been characterized by saying one thing with your mouth and doing another thing with your life, the power that raised Christ from the dead can transform you like it did Peter. And let me tell you how. Because after the resurrection, what do we know about Peter? He went from being a coward to going to an upper room. The Holy Spirit comes down, sets it ablaze. I don't know why I keep doing that. I get excited. Sets it ablaze. And Peter comes down from those southern steps. They're, they're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire. They're, 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 to other people, they're, they're speaking goo goo gaga stuff. And they don't even know what's going on. They start mocking them. And here's the moment for Peter. Has the risen Christ really changed you? Because Peter could have come down and cowered to the crowd once again. He could have come down from those southern steps as they're being mocked by so many different people. Keep in mind, there were a lot of people there that day. They had all assembled. It was that time of the year. Every type of language you can imagine. Because it says 
that as they were speaking in tongues, a person over here understood what they were saying. And then this person understood what he was saying. And this person understood what she was saying. It's a crazy scene. And what does Peter do? Peter comes down now with boldness and he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in power. 3,000 people get saved. They only counted the men. So it's not including women and children. Not only do they get saved, they start baptizing them right there on the spot. I've been there. Jessica's been there. You can see the southern steps and you can see all the baptismal parts where they could have actually done exactly what the Bible says. And furthermore, they could have been standing all around where Peter would have come down. Just a little side fact. If you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, you need to go. Because the Bible becomes alive. It goes from black and white to color. And you see it with your eyes. So the failure, the under-promiser, the over-deliver, he didn't even over-deliver. He didn't even deliver. And he encounters a risen Christ and he becomes a completely different person. Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Are you here today and you feel like you've let God down? His resurrection power through his son Jesus can set you free from condemnation, free from failure, free from your past, and it can strengthen you today and you can walk out of those doors much different than the way that you walked in because of what Jesus did. Thomas, number three, as we close. Thomas, a person with doubts. Oh man, you ever been there? Oh man. John 20, verse 24. Now, now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with him when Jesus came. If my brother was here today. He's my twin brother. I would, I would call him Thomas because I have a microphone and he doesn't. He's just sitting there. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, watch, unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the prints of the nail and put my finger into the print of the nail and put my hand into his side. Big words here, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and he stood in the midst and he said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Whew. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believed. If you've ever heard the phrase, don't be a doubting Thomas, you ever heard that before? It's the origination of that scripture. How would you like to be Thomas in heaven right now, peeking over the balcony every time someone refers to doubting Thomas? Like, man, one time I mess up, they remember it for a lifetime. Couldn't you have picked the things I did good? 
It's funny how we always remember the negative more than we do the positive, huh? Oh, let me bring that into your life. It's amazing how one neg- and my life, how one negative can destroy a lot of great things. It's amazing how one fear can override the faith that we have in a God who is real and has changed our life and has set our feet up in a place where we have purpose, destiny, and joy. It's amazing how one bad day can ruin it all because we're wired not by God, but we're wired from the enemy who tries to come in and attack our minds and we forget God's goodness because of one bad day and all of a sudden now we're in fear and doubt and unbelief. Sounds like Thomas to me. How quickly he had forgot about Jesus. Friends, don't let anything rob you of your faith in Jesus. So Thomas, we can all relate to him, amen? You ever doubted before? See, the thing that I love about this story is that the risen Lord knows Thomas's doubts. And he comes and reveals himself. Listen to me. If Thomas could say anything, this is what he would say. He would say, you can be honest with God about your doubts. I want you to stand with me today as we bring this to a close. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him, know him, know God, and the power of of his resurrection. The truth is, all of us can. But also the truth is, is we can relate to each of these characters in the story. We can relate to Mary because we know what it's like to be in bondage. We can relate to Peter because we know what it's like to make spiritual commitments and not be able to follow through. We can relate to Thomas because we all know what it's like to have doubt and unbelief in our lives. But listen close. It is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that will come alive in your life with power for victory. My boys and I joke all the time for playing like a video game or something. I still do that, got a little inner kid inside me. Or we're playing some type of sport I don't know where my boys picked it up from. It definitely was not me. I promise. Not only being competitive, but sometimes I kind of start talking some smack a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? My my boy's 12 now, so I think he's going to start getting to that point where he's actually going to start getting better than me at things. You know? And they start chirping a little bit. Some of you with older kids, you know what I'm talking about. They hit that age where they just start jabbing you a little bit. Some of you are smiling so big because you know it's true. But there have been times, and I'm proud to say this as a dad, where I have beat my kids in sports or a game. There's a whole other story I can go there, but I won't. And they'll just start talking. And I only have to say one thing. Scoreboard. Talk all you want. Scoreboard. I'm winning you're losing scoreboard hear me all your failures all of your doubt 
all of your broken promises to the Lord, and we've all got them. You know what God says? You see my son? Scoreboard. Do you even get that? I know it's humorous, but do you understand that that act of Jesus on that cross and his father raising him from the dead takes anything the enemy throws at you and allows God to say, scoreboard. It doesn't matter, devil. You're defeated. You're a foe. Scoreboard.